You're listening to Rambling with Ryu, hosted by Bean, the co-founder of Ryu Paralysis Recovery Center living with a T10 spinal cord injury, and Nancy, a professional kinesiologist specializing in pediatric and adult neurorehabilitation. Welcome to our activity-based therapy series, where we talk to leading clinicians, researchers, and those with lived experience as we explore the realm of neurorecovery. On this podcast, we educate on the lesser-known topics and give practical tips and tricks to help elevate your practice. Today, Nancy and I are going to be talking about what a typical activity-based training session looks like. So, Nancy, let's just jump right in. What does a typical session look like? I guess the better question is, is there a typical session? So, because each plan is tailored to the individual, each session is going to look a little bit different. So, depending on what your goals are and what um, the trainer and you have collaborated on to work towards, your session might look a little bit different. And you might have some current limitations and restrictions based on current injuries and different things like that. So what you actually do within your session will vary from person to person based on what your goals are and where you are starting from as well. But a lot of sessions have core work regardless of where you're at. We know your core is super important in terms of function and movement efficiency. So, you know, it's almost a guarantee each session will work on core. Another thing that we do is we take everybody out of their wheelchairs, out of your mobility device. I'd say 99% of the time, there's a few exceptions to that. If people are just more comfortable or have had, you know, a really bad day kind of thing and want to prefer to stay in their chair, you're more than welcome to do that as well. But we like to get everybody out of your chair and onto a table, onto different machines and really moving your body in ways you otherwise wouldn't by yourself. So you're coming here for a reason and we're going to help elevate you to that next stage of neuro recovery. And a lot of that time it looks like being outside of your mobility device. So whether that be a walker, a wheelchair, we're stepping away from those within the you know realm of safety, of course, right? Your trainer's always going to be there supporting and spotting as you're going through your session. So I know that doesn't give you a great idea of what a typical session is because each session is so individualized. That's why there is really no typical session, but it's all very active and you're at the focus of each session. Yeah, and I'd like to add in there that our sessions start the minute you your appointment time starts. So say you have a 2.15 time slot at 2.15, your trainer's going to come get you, you're going to be in the gym, and like Nancy said, out of your chair or your mobility device for the majority of your session. And our sessions also run for that full hour. So you're going to be working for that full hour with some breaks in, in between if needed. This is how we differ from other therapies is that we do provide you with that one-on-one therapy for that full hour, which is really important because that's something that a lot of people have said to us like, oh, I was only expecting to work for like 20 minutes, but it's that full hour, man, 60 minutes right from when you get there to right till that hour ends, you are going to be working hard. Yeah, I'd like to touch on what being said about breaks. I mean, I call them working breaks. So you have an hour. So what we can do in one hour, we pack in as much as we can because we know the rest of your week. So the rest of the 23 hours of the day, you know, we want recovery to continue. So we're going to maximize that hour and just push as much as we can into that one hour, right? That being said, obviously, you do have a say in how hard you get pushed, but we're here to motivate you and keep you going and give that extra push. Yeah, and that's what's going to take you past that point of independence, which is what people really want. We want that neural recovery to happen. And then what you need for that to be successful is for somebody to believe in you and for somebody to push you to where you can really reach your potential. And we love seeing potential in people. 
So let's talk about some questions that we get quite often is, what should I wear? And that's been one of my biggest dilemmas of my life is what should I wear? <laughs> Nancy? I would say even just like our trainers, we, we say clothes you can move in, right? Expect to be active. This is not just I'm going to sit in my chair. I'm going to, you know, hang out and somebody's going to passively stretch me. You're doing a lot of moving. If you're planning to go on the light gate or to walk uh, upright, we do suggest actually shorts and like a t-shirt. Clothing that's not going to create a lot of rubbing and friction. Leggings for ladies are also great. Jeans are not a good idea. They're just seams are too hard and too rigid and too much of a risk for pressure sores. So anything that's more athletic wear based is going to be better for your sessions. That being said, whatever you show up in will work around. But just know that there are some restrictions based on what clothing you do wear. Keep in mind if you don't sweat and you do overheat, you might want to wear layers. Like we know in Edmonton, we have winter, so it's not always practical to wear a t-shirt, right? But wear a t-shirt, wear a sweater on top so we can take off layers as needed. Uh, summertime, obviously a little bit easier to wear the appropriate clothing for the weather. But yeah, just keep in mind about your own kind of limitations and that kind of thing in terms of your ability to sweat. So then I guess let's talk about shoes too. What kind of shoes would should people wear? And yeah, like what would work best with what we would need them to do? Yeah, so because we are active, anything that's closed-toed typically is best. That being said, we do work around whatever you are comfortable wearing. We're just more cautious and we won't necessarily do as maybe quick of a walk or our standing setup might take a little bit longer, right, to work around. So we have stood with bare feet before, we have walked with bare feet before. We're just more cautious when we know the shoe's not as protective. So a closed-toed running shoe that's comfortable. That being said, when we do start walking and stuff, we always want to check to make sure we're not creating pressure sores, being that, you know, there's that time period that people have to break shoes in. Right. So wearing comfy, thick socks with that shoe as well. That's also another thing to, I guess, just consider is that you do need some comfortable shoes that generally have a flexible sole that you can walk in. And something that does come up that has come up in questions from new clients with me is what if I'm working out my pants fall down? And that's something that we do see a lot simply because you're wiggling around, you're moving and a lot of people do wear sweatpants, which is totally fine. But sometimes the elastic bands, they do fall down. And so when that happens, our staff are trained to be as respectful as we can. So we will pull your pants up for you. We pull shirts down to cover the stomach to make sure you're fully covered. So we just wanted to let you know that, you know, our staff are aware of that and they will do what they can to help you uh, remain decent and covered. That being said, we've all seen everything and most people with spinal cord injuries don't really care if anybody sees them naked, but we will try to do our best to keep you decent. Yeah, and I was, will say that a lot of the time because your glute muscles, so your bottom, it's kind of shrunk and atrophied. That's why the pants tend to fall down. I know with the little kids we work with too, sometimes we'll just put an extra elastic around the waistband. Sweatpants that actually have ties are actually really great because then you can just tie so you won't have that concern as well. Yeah, so just realize the clothes you wore before might not fit the best and you know you, you sometimes won't know until you stand up. All right. So something else we get asked too is, well, maybe we don't really get asked this, but we always volunteer this information that before your session, you should be eating about at least an hour before so that you have energy for our session. Nancy, do you want to talk a little bit about why it's important to have energy? Sure. I mean, I think the big thing is it is a lot of brain work. Our brain runs on sugar. So that's carbohydrates. So 
protein's important for building muscle, carbohydrates important for our brain function. We need both. So we're both trying to build muscles, build connections, and reconnect that brain to muscle below the level of your injury. So eating is just super important. If you don't have fuel, your body can't perform at its optimal function. And for the sessions, because they are pretty intense in terms of physical activity and something you might not be used to. So it's the kind of that next level of moving. We actually suggest you bring snacks as well, because if you hit that crash in the middle of our session, we don't want to have to stop. And we do have stuff here, but we realize that everybody has different dietary restrictions and requirements and that kind of thing. So bringing your own snacks can just really help make it easy. A, it's something you'll like and and B, it's something we know you're not going to have an adverse reaction to. So eating before is always great. But that being said, if you know you don't work out well after eating, then, you know, bring your snack with you or bring it for after. But you do need to be fueled for your sessions. Yeah, and that's for both kids and adults, right? We all need our body to be fueled, like Nancy said. And so it's important to make sure that you have those snacks and sustenance available to you before you pass out, because we don't want that to happen. Okay, let's talk about pressure sores. This is a big topic in the paralysis world. And so let's talk about if somebody has a pressure sore, can they come to Ryu? So that's a interesting question because it depends on where. So... If you have a pressure sore that is going to be made worse by the types of activities you'll be doing at, at Ryu or at your center, then the answer is no. If it's something we can work around, so let's say it's a pressure sore on the side of your ankle. So if you can properly pat it and avoid putting more pressure on that area and have it protected, then by all means, let's come, let's get that area moving and let's see if we can get more of that blood flow and that healing and that activation through there, which can actually help speed up the healing. The other thing with pressure sores too is if we're going to make it worse, we're not going to continue with the session. So pressure sores for that example would be like ischial tuberosity pressure sores. So that's underneath your bum, your sit bones. So if you have a pressure sore there, because typically you'll be on a little bit of more bed rest, right? So you sitting in your chair for the ride to where you're going and then sitting and waiting and then sitting and going home. So that time can be detrimental to your pressure sore. So that would be one where we're going to ask you to probably stay home and heal that pressure sore fully before we continue on with therapy. Pressure sores, usually just on like these smaller bones, like around the feet and stuff, we can get away with um, padding and offloading pressure completely because like we said, we can do a lot of core work, we can do arm work, we can do lying down lower body work and stuff as well. So we don't have to put pressure on your feet and that kind of thing. But there are definitely areas in which we're more careful of just because we know pressure sores can get bad very, very quickly. And it's something we don't take lightly. Yeah. And on that note, we also really encourage skin checks. After every session, especially if you're a new client, we really need you to check your skin, Um, especially if you've been in a harness or anything really. We need you to check your skin, make sure it's healthy and clear. If you do see a pink spot, immediately relieve pressure off there. And like Nancy said, pressure sores are no joke. They are very, very serious. And uh, it's actually one of the biggest leading causes of death after spinal cord injury is pressure sores. So let's do what we can to catch them early. And if you do see a spot on your butt or basically on your sit bones or where you're sitting, it's really important to get onto your tummy, get that tummy time in, cancel your day and let it heal before it gets any worse. And now we have a question for Bean. What if we have an accident while we're working out? What do we do? What kind of happens? 
has it ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, let's change that question to when I have an accident, what do I do? Because with a spinal cord injury, pooing yourself and peeing yourself is part of life. And so you just kind of have to embrace it. And it's such a normal thing for us to discuss at Reu because we've normalized it. And I think that's really important because it's not really normalized in the rest of the world. And it is quite of an, an embarrassing thing if you are an adult or even a kid and you have an incontinence uh, accident while working out. Has this happened to me? Yes, <laughs> a number of times this happened to me. And, you know, in the beginning, definitely got super embarrassed. And, you know, you just feel embarrassed and you don't feel proud or at all. But it's something that, like, I've really had to work through with my mindset of being this is a part of my life now. So I'm just always going to be prepared for it. And so we recommend that everybody bring an extra pair of clothes with them, kids and adults, because you never know, right? I mean, you could puke, you could pee, you could have a bowel accident, you just don't know. And so I believe that if you're prepared for it, then it won't happen. <laughs> but sometimes it still happens. And if it does, again, our staff are trained to be very respectful and to help you keep your dignity. We'll use our mirrors as walls and we'll help you change, help you get cleaned up if needed. We do have extra pants and shorts at Ryu that we do sell. There are Ryu pants and shorts if you need. But again, that's why we recommend bringing an extra pair of pants or an extra set of clothes. Even just having them in your vehicle is a good idea just because you don't know what's going to happen when it happens. And if it does happen during your session, we would like to continue on with the session if you feel okay with that. If you don't, then we can end the session and you can go home and change or whatever it is you need to do. But we just want everybody to know that it's super normal for this to happen. It's very common. You are not alone if this happens to you. And if it happens at Ryu, I mean, that's one of the best places for this to happen to you because all of us are prepared for it. And like I said, it's normal for us, so it doesn't shock us and we would never do anything to make you feel more embarrassed than you probably already do. Okay, and then let's talk about nerve pain. So what if I'm having bad nerve pain? Should I still come to Ryu? Should I still come to therapy? Yes. The answer is yes. Always yes. And that's, I mean, again, this is all subjective, so it's up to you, of course. But our thought is, and not just our thought, but a lot of people is you never regret the workout that you do. And if we can try to distract you from that nerve pain and get your body moving, sometimes it can feel better or just by the act of distraction, it can lessen the nerve pain. Right, Nancy? Yeah. And we have a couple of different tools that we use that some of our clients have said have really helped with their nerve pain. So tools like our vibration plate, right? So giving that constant input to almost like dampen down the nerve pain. So your nerve pain's really loud and talking that day. We can actually get, just give different types of stimulus and input to help reduce the loudness of the nerve pain. So a lot of times people come in with really bad nerve pain, but they'll leave feeling better. And we also have like heating pads and different things like that, different tools to help settle things down. Because there are a number of different reasons why you could have exacerbated nerve pain that day. It could be because you're so cold outside and because you can't temperature regulate, all your sensations are coming in as pain. So there can be a lot of different reasons for your nerve pain, but we do have some tools and little tips and tricks of the trade that can help make it better. And like being said, just the act of you moving your body, giving your body different stimulus and distracting 
from that nerve pain, right? Just getting out and seeing other people and interacting with the other clients at Ryu, you just can lift your day as well. Yeah, that peer support is really important. Being able to talk to people who understand. And I love that a lot of our clients have become friends. And when you're waiting for your session to start and you see other clients there and becoming friends with them, we really like that because being able to help and support each other when you're kind of going through the same thing is what's really going to help make this whole journey of recovery easier and better. So Nancy, let me ask you this. What if we have extra tubes and accessories sticking out of our bodies? What, what then? Well, we have lots of different ways which we can pad and support those areas. And we're just more conscious of those tubes because nobody likes their tubes being pulled on. So in terms of, let's just say, G-tubes and peg tubes. So those are the, the basically feeding tubes is what they're commonly known as. So the food and fuel gets directly syringed into your stomach or your intestine or a certain part of your intestine. So with those tubes, we're just more cautious about tummy time and being on your stomach and padding those areas. And if we're putting on harnesses and things, are we supporting that area? It doesn't have a lot of restrictions in terms of what we're able to do. We still do a ton of things. If you have a child with a G-tube, J-tube or a PEG tube, you know, they still crawl around, they roll on it, they do all things, sorts of things. And most parents or caregivers are trained that if the tube acts comes out they know how to put it back in it can be scary the first time it happens but generally we're very cautious in terms of the tubes and the placement and giving extra padding in terms of catheters so there's a bunch of different types of catheters that people have so super pubic catheters again that's just a little bit of extra padding knowing that we're not going to pinch it off and create an episode of autonomic dysreflexia or something like that when we're putting on harnesses so it's just a matter of usually extra padding in terms of like a leg bag or anything like that. Again, being aware to not give rips and tears into it and making sure the valves are closed, knowing how to open and close valves for most of it. If we don't know, we'll ask. And if you need help emptying bags and stuff like that, we're more than willing to help. So yeah, I'd say there's not too many restrictions. We just use lots of extra padding and support so we don't um, create any other issues. Awesome. Yeah, I think those are questions we get a lot. I have these accessories and can you guys work with them and what do you do with them and the answer is yes i wanted to add on to for catheters sometimes you know people have leg bags and if your leg bag is getting full and you have to leave you can ask one of us to empty it for you we're more than happy to i myself was a healthcare aide before so i'm actually trained on how to do it properly but it's really easy and we really don't mind helping at all so please ask for help if you need it the last thing we would want is for that to burst on your dad's ride home or on your ride home if you're driving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the one thing we didn't talk about was like ostomies and that kind of thing. So again, it's similar to superpubic catheters and G-tubes and J-tubes is, you know, we just ideally make sure it's empty at the start of your session. If it's not, then we're just more cognizant of the pressures that are put on it. And again, just more padding is placed around it and on it. Again, not a big deal. Just letting us know that it's there. And then we just kind of adjust accordingly and pad where needed. Exactly. So what if we get somebody who says, um, I can't move on my own? Can you guys still work with me? Yes, you're in the right place. (laughs) This is really what we deal in. We deal with those who 
have goals. I say it's the biggest thing. If you have a goal, we're going to work with you. Neurorecovery is real. Neuroplasticity is real. We wouldn't be open and in this business if we didn't believe it was. So we most definitely work with many, many people who are unable to move on their own, whether that be part of your body, all of your body. We've seen people come from not moving anything to moving almost everything on their own. So neuroplasticity is cool. It is real. We get really excited about it. So if you can't move, you're in the right place. Yeah, I love that. If you can't move, we'll get you moving. <laughs> that could be a new tagline. Okay, so one question we get often is, do we have lifts? And if not, how do we transfer our clients? Yeah, so we use the human lift, as in our trainers. Our trainers do all the lifts, so we teach proper lifting technique. And we do have a variety of like methods of transfers. So we can do sliding board transfers. We can just basically pick you up and move you. We have lifted upwards of 350 pounds. So all the ladies who work at Ryu are very, very strong. So we don't have actual ceiling lifts. I know that's what most people think about and are probably familiar with in probably the home environment or their own environment but no we don't have any ceiling lifts the closest thing we have to a lift is our light gate but that is not meant to be a lift it's a harness designed more for that walking standing that active weight bearing yeah so primarily we do all the transfers that's right if there's one thing we produce it's strong women and we love it Okay, cool. So uh, yeah, another question that we get often is, can my siblings come? Or usually it's from parents and saying, you know, I have my other kids with me. Can I bring them with me? And then other family members too, or adult clients sometimes have caregivers and family members and stuff who come to want to come watch them work out. So what's our answer to that, Nancy? It's currently a fluid situation. So within the parameters of the COVID-19 pandemic that has kind of fluctuated in terms of our response to that. But if you are able to basically sit still and be within the area of the person you're watching, then we're more than happy to have you. That being said, it is a fluid situation. So at any time our policy may change, but right now we're more than welcome to have them come as long as you stay within the area with which um, your person's working out. So whoever you're coming to watch, you're staying within that area or you're staying at the front, you're sitting, you're not running around, you're not touching everything. Just because everything you touch, we do have to clean. So that's really our biggest thing. And just reducing the potential spread of COVID-19 and germs and all that stuff. We're just still doing social distancing. We're still trying to do the best that we can within the current situation. Yeah. And just to add on to that too, the biggest thing too is we, we need everybody to be symptom-free. So if the other kids have a runny nose or a cough or a fever, unfortunately they can't come. We're really, really strict about this policy and we think that this is why we've been successful at keeping COVID-19 out of our facility and we will always continue to do that as well. And so yeah, everybody has to be symptom-free to come in, even if you're going to come watch. Speaking of watching, what about videos? Should people be making videos? Yes, yes, they should. So, I mean, we encourage everybody to video document your journey. It's hard as the individual to see your journey and your progress. But when you can look back at videos, you can be like, wow, this is where I started. This is where I am. So it can give you that sense of, I have really come that far. Because when you live it every day, you don't necessarily see 
all the small changes that lead to all the big changes, which leads to the progress in your journey. So videos are a great resource and a great tool to keep you motivated and help you stay focused on the whole journey and the process and realize I'm putting in all this work and it is working. So the videos are a great tool. Yeah. And for us too, it's really nice to see the before and afters. I mean, for everybody, it's nice to see the before and afters, but you really, like Nancy said, you that's where you see your recovery and that's where you see the progress that you've made. So yeah, definitely make lots of videos. I would just caution to only make the videos of the person that you're with and not of anybody else in the facility, just to keep up with our confidentiality policy. Yeah. Yeah. And you can you always ask, right? I mean, most people are are okay with videos being taken, but you know, always asking the people that you're with, are you okay with me taking a video? You know, nine times out of 10, we're going to say yes. Sometimes we might say no, and that's okay. Right. Especially if, you know, you're having a really bad day or somebody's having a really bad day, they might not want a video. Right. So it's always up to the person. And so if it's a child under the age of 18, right, obviously the guardian's going to be asked, right. Cause we do go around, we take a lot of videos. You also have the right to turn down us taking videos as well. Yeah, for sure. And that being said, we don't post all of the videos that we take. And so we do have clients who don't want to be on our social media and that's fine. We will totally respect that. But we still will make videos and then keep them on file for that client just so that they have them, but we won't post them. So then this is coming to the end of our session here. What's going to happen at the end of our session? Well, there's usually some form of homework. <laughs> so it's kind of going back to what we said at the beginning, right? We want to maximize that one hour, but recovery doesn't stop when you leave Ryu or leave your workout session, right? So we're going to give homework to help translate and carry over some of the principles of neuroplasticity and neuro recovery into the home environment. So that homework's really important. And we don't give it just because we like to give homework, we're giving it because we want to see you reach your maximal potential, right? So it's okay to admit you didn't get as much homework done as you would have liked, but we want you to always try. If it's not feasible, not realistic, we need you guys to be up front with us and tell us, hey, I'm not going to do that. And then we'll try and rework it, right? We do our best to work it into your daily routines to make it more feasible and more practical that you'll actually do the homework. We understand that a lot of the time routines do take a long time, right? So adding another 30 minutes of exercises might not be realistic. So Having that conversation, having that collaboration with your trainer, being like, you know what, I won't do that. And being up front with us so we can best support you in your recovery journey. So we might just change a few things to your morning routine and be like, let's tweak it here and here and here. And we're going to pr promote more recovery by just the, doing those tweaks, right? So there are lots of options for that, but we want to see recovery extend beyond our walls and our facility. So yeah, that's kind of what happens after the session. And then we usually talk about booking in your next session and what should that frequency look like? How many times a week should I come? How many hours a day should I be doing? And so what would I say to somebody who has those questions? Yeah, I would say, obviously, it's up to each individual. The more homework you do, basically, the less you can come. So if you're not good with homework, we say you should try and come more frequently. Obviously, we understand finances is a big limiting factor for many people, but twice a week to three times a week is the typical of what we see. But to see a decent amount of progress, realizing that progress is a long-term thing for neuro recovery. The brain and the nervous system do take 
quite a while to heal, rewire, and network and all that stuff. So two to three times a week is kind of the ideal at the moment. One hour is usually enough for most people. Some people can handle two. So it's important to feel it out for your body. You can try two hours, but if you go home and are completely exhausted and laid out for the next three days, maybe that two hours was too much. So building up that endurance, building it up as you go, right? So you might start off once a week for three weeks and you're like, well, now I feel stronger. Maybe I can jump to two. So this two can change in terms of like where you are in your journey. So you can start off small, you can start off big, you can taper it off, you can ramp it up. So this would be another conversation you can have with your trainer as you go, because we're uh, trained to basically what we call periodize your recovery. So there are times to take full breaks and there are times to ramp up your training to get your maximal recovery. So again, there's lots of individual variation with how many times a week you should come. But the bottom line is that two to three times seems to be what most people can tolerate and do very well with. And we have been offering online sessions as well. So if you're not feeling well, or I mean, this is a common scenario is that somebody's ride, there's whoever's driving them ended up getting sick or something else happened where they can't get a ride in. We're really happy to be able to switch their in-person session to an online session. A lot of our trainers are very good switching that over now because of COVID. We've all had to pivot and grow. And so this has actually taken off with our online sessions and they are actually very effective, which is really awesome because a lot of people are very skeptical about the online sessions. But if that's something you would like to try, you could try it for half an hour or do the full hour session as well. But yeah, we're very flexible and easygoing with a lot of this stuff. And we just want to make sure that everybody gets the most out of their time with us. Cool. Well, now we've talked about what a typical activity-based training session looks like at Ryu. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, let us know and we'd be more than happy to answer. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. As always, we would greatly appreciate if you could subscribe, leave us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts as this helps us increase our reach. And stay tuned for another episode coming at you in two weeks.